Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that, that's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. Coast to coast, border to border, and around the world. It's time for The Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio. Now, here's your host, Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of The Bill Alexander Show with yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill. So glad to have you join me today. And it's going to be a real treat because the guy I'm talking to, you may recognize his name. The reason is who his dad was. And it's great to have him on. On the program right now, I have Louis Prima Jr. Yes, Louis Prima's son is who is on the program today. Louis, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Bill. How about you? I'm doing real good. I'm so glad you could join me. I've always been a big fan of your father's music. And recently, I started listening to some of your stuff, too. And it's it's pretty good. Well, I thank you. We, uh, we try our best and hope that people enjoy it. So when you started in the industry, was your dad really... Um, promoting you to do it or was it something you decided that you wanted to do on his on your own mostly something i decided to do on my own uh you know my father passed away uh when i was 12 uh, and actually went into a coma when i was nine years old uh so i was pretty young but i was dabbling and uh, my mom taught me how to play drums when i was five and i took piano lessons from my aunt and uh you know i dabbled in guitar and a bunch of little things all along the way and didn't pick up the trumpet until junior high school. Um, graduated high school with no aspirations to get into music at all. Um, but I had uh, my senior year in high school, I started sitting in singing uh, with friends of mine's bands and, and my dad's band, as a matter of fact. And uh, I just kind of realized that holding a microphone in my hand and being the front man and, and the orchestral leader, leader so to speak, uh, was my thing. And I felt that I was all right at it. And I truly felt at home. And that, you know, it was no turning back from there. So how much do you think your dad's music career actually um, inspired you to do what you're doing? Look, he, it, being able to see him on stage as many times as I did uh, throughout my young life, um, it really gave you a sense of what entertainment was supposed to be. So I feel like, you know, I was influenced in, in a good way on how you're supposed to conduct a show. What is a show supposed to be? What is music supposed to be? It's supposed to be life, laughter, uplifting, um, and, you know, when I started getting the music, you know, rock and roll as a young man, the influence my father had on my peers at the right. time um, was phenomenal. And I mean, even to this day, I run in, you run into acts that um, are just starting out. I mean, look, you know, if you go back in Lady Gaga's Twitter feed, um, yeah, you know, she's, she's listening to Louis Prima backstage and, you know, I've had some really neat conversations with some, you know, uh, giants in the industry that are popular today that were influenced by him, or at least knew who he was, and listened to the music and enjoyed it. And if you enjoy it, it plays a little bit into what you're doing. So when you were a kid, like I said, before we started, you're about a year older than I am, almost to the day. And what's interesting is, when you heard David Lee Roth, do just a gigolo and I ain't got nobody, which was your dad's songs. What yeah. went through your mind as a young child or an early teen going, wait a minute, my dad's music is now <laughs> considered rock and roll. What's going on here? I always knew he was rock and roll. Look, I, you know, you listen to some of his stuff in the thirties, man, is this small combo when he first started out. If that's not the roots of rock and roll, I don't know what is. Look, David David Lee Roth did a phenomenal job with that song. 
I mean, it is pretty much verbatim. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing about David Lee Roth and that album, that solo album he put out, it, it was a lot of having fun and ma- I think making fun of himself along the way. And that is what my father was brilliant at. Um, which, you know, the song Just a Gigolo and I Ain't Got Nobody. I mean, Just a Gigolo is one of the saddest songs in the world. Yes. And my father, my father just made a mockery of it and, and just had fun with it. And, you know, at that time, no better person than David Lee Roth. He did a great job. He gave credit where credit was due. Every interview he did. And, you know, as a kid, you know, the, the first time you hear it, you go, whoa, you know? Yeah. And uh, I mean, because back then it was radio, you know, and, and um, you know, you weren't notified to people. You know, you're not you're not notified people are redoing your song if you're an artist. Uh, so there was no notification, and it came out, and it was it was a joy because it was done well. Mm-hmm. So the other thing is too, and I look at this in 1967. Your dad was in a Disney film, and oh, yeah, he was yeah. King Louis in that film. You would have been what two years old at the time. Just about, yep. <laughs> Did you grow up thinking, wait a minute, my dad's in a cartoon. What is going on here, people? Because you to know, me, that would be amazing to be able to say, hey, there's my dad and it lives with you forever because it's always going to be there. I don't know the exact release date. I don't know if I was three, but I, you know, it is one of my first memories. You know, you don't remember a lot before like four or five years old. One of my earliest memories is sitting in, we had a theater in Las Vegas. We were living in Las Vegas at the time. It was called the Centerama. It was a big dome theater, you know, with a little prism roof. And uh, I, I remember sitting and, and sitting next to my father and, and you look up at the screen and when King Louie came on, yeah. he, you know, I, I, I remember looking at the screen and looking at my dad and looking at the screen and looking at my dad and, <laughs> trying to figure out how that happened and you know it it is as a young kid um you know it was neat you know that uh, because i mean my father did uh the flintstones um if you you go into deep dives and things like that you know and i think it kept him relevant and i think it pays homage to you know him doing things like that is a credit to who he was 50 years into his career Mm -hmm. um, that he was able to be a main figure in a mainstream popular event. Um, And and I dug it. I I dig it to this day. I've got so many stories about that movie. Um, It's a lot of fun. Well, when, when I look back at it and, and the stuff I know of your dad is when he was performing, because a lot of it's on YouTube right now, but with Keely Smith and the old yes. black magic and the stuff like that, that he did. When he started out, was he that type, that style or what we're seeing in the sixties <clears throat> and early seventies? Is that what he evolved into? That was his style. Um, okay. You know, he, he grew up, a lot of people make assimilation between him and Louis Armstrong. And in the same breath, they will say that Louis Prima emulated Louis Armstrong. But if you go back, they grew up on the same streets. They learned from the same street musicians in New Orleans. You've got to remember, this is, you know, my father was born in 1910. His first band he had when he was 14. Okay. okay, so we're talking 1924, the street musicians and the way of life back then was really kind of shaped New Orleans the way it was. And anybody that came out of there was influenced by it. They grew up on the same streets. And my father actually had problems in his career because of who he was. Um, you know, famously, he was fired from the pit orchestra at the Sanger theater because he played too brash and too boisterous. Um, And, you know, depending on who you believe, he told the, the, you know, director, you're going to regret firing me because I'm going to be the biggest person on the planet one day. Um, And when he, like I said, when he went to Guy Lombardo, took him to New York, he gave him his big start in the thirties. And he actually went to Chicago and recorded his first couple of albums. I believe it's 34, 34, 35 or 34, 36 and you can hear the roots of 
Bugs Bunny soundtracks, Looney okay. Tunes soundtracks in the music. You can hear um, the style and just because of the way they recorded back there, you can hear them really hear them jumping around and having a good time. And you right. see some of the early, early footage, which, you know, I wish I could release more of what we actually do have, but you're, you know, they block it and take it down and try to sue you. Um, but he was bigger than life and a showman and uh, jazz music, you know, jazz music doesn't have room for the showman. So, I mean, he was, that's who he was back then. He carried that through the big band era. He carried that through the early days in Vegas with Keeley. Um, he carried that through, uh, you know, my mother joined the band in 62 and he carried it on into, into the seventies uh, when he was, you know, getting ill and, you know, it was probably a struggle for him to jump around on stage, but he couldn't sit still. Rock and roll was in his blood. Um, Elvis Presley, they asked him where you got your wiggle. And he said, Louis Prima. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so with all, with all this happening and with, with your dad and now looking at your music and is, is the older I get, the more difficult is it to say, because I saw something today online where someone said, when I think of 20 years ago or 30 years ago, I think of 1970, but actually it's 1992. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so when, when you, when you think about it, you have the name Louis Prima. Do people recognize you or recognize your father through you? Or if we gotten so far removed from that time period that they really don't know who he is until you explain it or until you start performing. It is a little bit of both. Um, we have the most unique demographic uh, that I've ever seen in music. I mean, it's straight across the board from the 25 age bracket, 25 to 32, I think it is, uh, up to 100. It stays flat. You get a little bump okay. with the people our age in the 50s, just a little bump, but it's straight across. And what we find is that there is a very large population in this country that are still growing up on the music. We play to teenagers and 20-year-olds that tell us, you know, we grew up on your father's music it was playing in the house on Sunday. You know, it's right. heavier in the Italian demographic, but it's still out there. And then you get, and, and it's actually a smaller population. Cause I think when people see a ticket for sale, I think because of the internet, you go and do some examination. So people right. know what they're getting, but a lot of times there, there's those people in the crowd that are told by a friend, you got to come see this show. It's the greatest show. And they're like, Oh, who's Louis Prima. And I don't tell a lot of stories on stage, but the ones that I do, I know everybody's going to know. And it's, it's geared to make people realize that Louis Prima has been in popular culture forever. Right. Okay. If you're alive today, Louis Prima was part of your popular culture and still is. Gigolo, I ain't got nobody was just in the, um, you know, what, what's it with the, uh, Carla Quinn, the, the movies now, I can't think of the name of it. Um, you know, Will, Will Smith is yeah, the original I, one. Yeah, I know what you're talking Yeah, I know. The, um, the, the most recent incarnation of that, when she's being tortured and she's yes. breaking free, Gigolo I Ain't Got No Body is playing. Gigolo I Ain't Got No Body is playing in the, <laughs> in the trailer for the movie Nobody. I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah, you know, Chips Ahoy commercials. Right. It, it's everywhere and everybody knows it. So it's um, we don't have a tough time telling people who he is. You know, there's, there's a handful that, that maybe don't know, but once we're done, they, they, they go, oh yeah, I know that song, you know? So I, I think it's interesting. And, and when you talk and look at popular music of 2022, and when we go back and I don't know if it's nostalgia. I don't know if it's because it's excellent music and no one's going to be able to top it, but there is a 10 or 15 year period of the 1960s music from your dad, from Sinatra, from Martin, from Tony Bennett is still in the American psyche because we keep hearing it. We're hearing it on soundtracks. We're hearing it on commercials. We're hearing it in so many different places and I think that's very interesting. And now having you 
being able to perform some of it. Now, are you doing the same arrangements that your dad did, or are you modifying them to your style? Uh, we try to stay on, on, on my father's tunes. We try to stay pretty close to the cuff, but they are definitely arranged for this band uh, okay. and our style. And, you know, what we're doing for, for people out there just maybe discovering me and wondering what it's about. Um, we are not a tribute band. Okay. Uh, it was ve very important to me. I started putting this together. You know, I'm coming up on 20 years. I started putting this together in 2004. And this was after a failed attempt in the mid nineties, but 2004 is when I kind of hit the ground running and it took me six years to find this magic that I have in this band and this group of people, we've made some changes along the way, but this group of people and this attitude. And what this is, is I love to create music and I love the style of Louis Prima, but I also love ACDC and I love Aerosmith and I love what I grew up on. I love Tower of Power. I like Prince. I like Michael right. Jackson. So it's how do you take Louis Prima's music, which was boisterous and in your face already, how do you play it like it's your own and like it's 2020 or what are we, 2022 now? You've got to create. You've got to make it your own. You've got to play your own. This was a vehicle for me to create new music in his style and keep what you said kind of good music going that horn driven the big band the actual singers i mean I, I, trust me i could take some deep dives into why music of that time is still relevant and enjoyable and i'll i'll touch really quick on it so we don't bore anybody but there was a great article <laughs> hey that's okay you you can talk all you want cuz i'm just fascinated right now look there, there's a great article that came out about 12 years ago i tried to find it online again this is before i was saving things i can't find it to save my life but um it was a college professor that wrote an article on it was based on the all music today sounds alike and it's garbage right and it starts off by going you know every generation has said that since the dawn of time you know the first time they invented the drum and it wasn't somebody banging on a rock i'm sure the caveman went that's garbage it sounds alike mm -hmm. But there's a lot of truth in it because the music takes up different oral spectrums. A drum, a tuba takes up a different oral spectrum than the violin. The reason why in a quartet you've got cellos and violas and violins is they occupy different space in the oral spectrum. Okay. Music that was created back, you know, back with the Wrecking Crew and orchestras and Nat King Cole or early Natalie Cole and, you know, things of that era, um, Frank Sinatra that had the big band, you had this big sound enticing your ears and your psyche. Today, most everything is created on this computer in front of me. Right. And a horn line sounds like, the same horn being played it occupies only this much of the oral spectrum instead of this wide range and it isn't as exciting the other problem is most music today is written by like four or five people yeah no new ideas so that's why you know that's why when you hear kicking ahead from you know uh tony bennett or i'm sorry um <laughs> dean martin when you hear that song and that arrangement, it just, I mean, it kicks you and it lifts you up. And that's why those things stay there. There's not a lot of music the past 20 years that is staying there. Once it's yeah. gone, it's gone. Um, a few months ago, and I don't know if you can see it behind me, but I spoke to Dina Martin, Dean's daughter. Did you? And yeah. she pretty much said the same thing because that's why people are able to gravitate to it. Not only because especially the older ones, they remember it, but it's still good music. And, yeah. and, and like, and like me right now, and I'm trying to get my kids, I have three kids, one 22, one uh, soon to be 18 and one 14. I have all vinyl in the house. I don't yeah, have, yeah. I got rid of that stuff. I want, I want to go vinyl. I got turned to everything. The kids are listening to it too, because they're listening to a different sound. It's a, it's a warmth and everything else. Yes. So Absolutely. we're able to reintroduce that to the kids. Now, the, the interesting thing is I have a, like I said, 22 year old son and I have a 14 year old daughter and they are both in their high school band. 
my son played in the high school jazz band, which is interesting because you don't hear mainstream mainstream jazz anymore. Or if you do, it's being compartmentalized on the Internet. And these kids don't understand that there is a market for this stuff. Now, when we start hearing what you're doing, this 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 swing, this this uh, if you want to call it big band, whatever you want to call it, it's like wow, these guys are still performing this stuff and they're still drawing crowds, which is amazing to me that these people are still flocking. And like you said, you have them from teenagers all the way up to the late '80s, early '90s, whatever it may be, which is amazing. Look, one of the one of the things that we hear a lot and, you know, it's it is a testament to my band is, you know, number one, each member of my band is a solo artist and performer in their own right and should be by themselves on stage. It was like that. That was one of the things I targeted is I want the guys. Number one, be a brilliant musician. Number two, know what you're doing on stage and have fun, entertain. Don't look at the, we don't have charts on stage. I don't use set lists. We play off the crowd. Okay. okay. Some, some crowds want to hear more Prima. Some cloud, crowds want to hear more me. Some crowds want to hear the other stuff that we do. Cause we take popular songs and twist them up and just have fun with them. And one of the things that happens and we hear a lot is that people kind of forgot that you can play actual music and put on a show. A lot of what happens today on tours and live shows, there's no band anymore. There's no live performance anymore. Right. We all know, we all know it's tracks. We all know it's trickery. We all know it's pre-recorded. but it has 50 dancers on stage and these giant props and this huge light show. You're right. So you are visually stimulated as well. Um, we do it all without the trickery. It's just us some lights, my brilliant sound man, and go. And people people come up to us all the time and go, how do you do, how do, you do that? Because, I mean, if you've seen the videos, it, it doesn't really capture two hours of us running around on stage like it's a marathon and playing. And people come up and it was like a freight train. How do you guys do that every yeah. day? How? Because we love it. Because we love it and we're having fun. And, you know? and that's what's really amazing to me that that you're you're taking songs, and I can't say of today, but of the '80s and the '90s, and you're putting a brass section behind it, and you're yes. doing this, and you're making it with with we'll say a a swing st- sound to it. And I'm going, hey, this is pretty good. I mean, I would have never thought of it, but this is pretty good. But that's a, that's the good thing about it is it you don't. Know, have to like my music you don't have to like louis prima music or you know have liked it you don't have to like the songs that we play in their original incarnation um it's the fun that we have with it and the enjoyment playing it loud and proud so to speak brings to you when when we're having fun there's nothing worse than going to see a band and they just stand there and it's boring um, yeah. I just had this conversation the other day. I won't mention the artist we were talking about, but it was like, you know, good Lord, people love your music and you're standing up there like they owe you something. No, right. no, 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 no. Get up there and entertain and have fun with it, man. You know, any, there are so many people that can play music. Um, we are the fortunate ones and the blessed ones that get to do this for a living. And don't abuse it. And the crowd appreciates that, man. And they love, they love the style. They love them. I mean, we pull out some obscure music and play it. And people go, I, wow, you know, um, I didn't even know you could do that in that vein, you know, and, and it, <laughs> um, and that, that's what makes it fun for us and challenging for us. It's, it's the, you know, you, you've got to make it entertaining start to finish, especially on the level that we're doing it. Look, I'm not Lady Gaga. I'm never going to be Lady Gaga. You know, that time has passed for me. I had that chance in rock and roll. Didn't happen. Now, how do I keep myself going on this plane? And that's be the best we can possibly be be, and different than anything you're going to see. 
So I was going through the videos and I'm, I'm going, wait a minute, this name jumps out at me and my audience. I also, to let you know this, I do an oldies show um, on Sunday nights. I do a deep cut oldies program. And actually some of your dad's music has been on it um, right on. on Sunday nights. And then I'm on during the week on the same station that I do more, more classic hits, but right. the name jumped out at me and I'm going, Hey man, wait a minute. I know this guy from the stray cats. And then all of a sudden he went into a big band swing era. And I'm talking about Brian Setzer. You actually did a, a, a set with him and you did jump jive and whale, which is on YouTube right now. How was yeah. that to perform with him? Look, I, I, we crossed paths back in the rock and roll days. Um, long, long, long time ago. But the um, girl that was singing with us at the time, I actually found her um because the Brian Setzer Orchestra was uh, doing uh, the Sunday football broadcast uh, right before Christmas. And she was one of his vixens, one of his background singers. Um, so we had flown out. We, we were on tour without her and had like three days off. And we were in New Jersey and they were playing at the Red Bank Theater in New Jersey. Uh, the, in Red Bank, the Count Basie Theater. And we were going to go surprise Leslie and, and show up for the show. Uh, we showed up and, you know, she was like, Brian wants to know if you want to sit in and do a song. And I was like, absolutely. You know, and look, I was a fan of Brian back then. I, I, I you know, I, I got to see the swing scene start up again with the big bad booty daddy and with Royal crown review right. and some of them cats that were doing it earlier. I was really good friends with Royal crown review at the time. I saw a long hair and was doing rock and roll. Um, and I was privy to the fact that Brian Setzer was shifting gears and going to put the orchestra together. I didn't know he was going to do jump jive and whale, which he did. Um, but you know, I, I, when, when you're doing something well and, and it's something I enjoy, absolutely. I'm going to get up on stage and have some fun and, he, you know, uh, modestly, I'll tell you that he was a little shocked that I actually knew what I was doing. Um, <laughs> I, I, I guess he had had some bad, uh, uh, some bad experiences with a couple people that had sat in, you know, somebody else's offspring or whatever the story right, was. Right, 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 right. And, you know, we just had a blast and he is such a sweetheart, uh, both him and his wife. And it was, you know, it was a, it was a joy for me to do. And you know what? The crowd, I mean, they always light up for that song anyway when he plays it um but the crowd went kind of nuts because there we were still in you know and i'm still in the mode of people still finding us and don't know that i'm out here. um you know so when you know that song exists and you know louis prima did it and all of a sudden there's louis prima jr it was a blast man i had fun. yeah so are you playing the trumpet or are you playing the cornet it's trumpet um okay it's been trump it's been trumpet most of my career my my father actually learned on a cornet okay um he he was classically trained on the violin and my uncle my uncle leon uh was playing the trumpet and was actually starting to work as a jazz musician down in new orleans so my dad didn't think the violin was cool and stole my uncle leon's practice cornet and taught himself how to play uh, but I, I played cornet on a couple pieces in high school just because I had one, uh, okay. but it's been trumpet. So, I mean, there has been, I mean, this past, well, oh, I guess it was this January, you were in a write-up in the uh, Boston Herald about playing your dad's music and, and finding out what's going on out there. And the one question I've asked, I've talked to a lot of performers, uh, recently so the pandemic hits in march of 2020 what did that do to you and how did you keep yourself busy over that period of time because i know there were a lot of people just climbing the walls because they couldn't perform it's look i it's it's something i'm passionate about talking about so if i ramble please cut me off um we were you know, you have highs and lows in this industry and you have peaks and valleys through your career that does like this, depending on who you are. Uh, we were coming into 2020. Um, we worked uh, we worked on the East Coast in 2020 and I actually got COVID in January of 2020. Nobody knew what it was. I was driving home 
and I pulled over. I had to pull over on the side of the road, and I, I called my girlfriend. I said, I don't think I'm going to make it home. I've never been this sick in my life. Um, but, you know, you, you continued on. We, we were recording a new album for Warrior Records. Uh, you know, our first two albums are on Warrior Records, Universal Music Distribution. Um, we went down, we did pre-production in Phoenix, and we went to L.A. to do more pre-production. And Warrior Records put us in Capitol Records. So we're recording Capitol Records when my dad made all his magic. And uh, we're, we're pretty much done recording. And we go to, we come down to New Orleans and I am the Grand Marshal uh, for the Toth Mardi Gras Parade. And the band plays on the float. We do a couple mm -hmm. gigs down here. We fly back home, do some cleanup work on the album. I go back home and get in the, 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 the bus to drive to Florida to continue our touring and my production manager calls me and says turn around everything's closing i go what do you mean everything's closing i mean i literally hadn't watched the news it was i bam, 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 right. bam, bam. he goes there's this covid thing going around and coronavirus and uh, the world is closing now you know yeah so we turned around and we knew those dates canceled but i had 120 dates on the books wow and I went home and we sat around for the 15 days that we were supposed to flatten the curve. And in the middle of it, I rode my motorcycle in Los Angeles uh, to finish up some vocals that needed to be done on the album. And I was the only one on the road. It was surreal. And I think it was then that I realized this is going to be bigger than this 15 days and it's going to hurt. Um, so we, you know, you, you sat and you just kept waiting two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, and you watched dates cancel 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 so then we watched the album go on a shelf because you can't release an album unless you're touring to support right. the album and the, you know the universal music distribution has guidelines you gotta live by and you can't live by the guidelines if you're sitting in your house so we sat we sat we sat and uh the coming to the end of the summer i uh packed up sold my house in a day and moved to new orleans which kind of saved my soul. Uh, okay. I was really, it, it, look, I was really down and, and going, wow, the momentum's out. What's going to happen? And nobody knew what's going to happen. And I came to New Orleans and people were still playing. They were sitting outside of venues. The, the venues were putting stages outside so everybody could be outside. And bands were still getting gigs. It was still weird. Um, but it, I think it helped me get over that hump and not be stir crazy and not, you know, put on the pandemic weight and drive yourself nuts. You, you drive yourself nuts as a, as an artist and somebody that creates and somebody that's used to look, I'm a road dog. I I'm used to, you know, two weeks at a time, no sleep, eat maybe one meal a day, jumping around on stage every night, right. Everything that's involved in it. And all of a sudden you're just sitting in a chair. Yeah. You can't even go to the store. You can't even, um, and then we watched it all kind of get better and booking started happening and Delta. And we fought through that and went on the road and got some things going. And thankfully, my management company got a little bit of the small venue money that helped us stay on the road. We did a little mini Christmas tour. We put out one of the songs we did on the new album as a Christmas song, uh, record label chose to release that let's get something out there so people still okay. know we exist yeah. uh we did a little mini christmas tour uh, 12 dates or whatever just to do so you know just to work through december um and we had dates starting in january and things are starting to schedule i think we had about 56 dates on the book and omicron we're, I'm literally driving from one venue to the next on the East Coast in January, and the venue calls and we're canceling. I'm, right. I'm on my way to you. Yeah. Well, we got to cancel. A lot of uh, people are asking for refunds. They're scared. And da, da, da. I go, all right, I guess I'll sleep on the street tonight. You know, I'm, I, I, it's, it's tough to explain to a layman. Right. You know, you, there's budgets and there's this and there's that. And then all of our work in February and March uh 70 percent of it canceled because of omicron and we're still dealing with it today and and it's uh it's rough it makes you crazy it's it hurts it's it's lonely even though you've got family um right. you know 
New Orleans, though, has helped me along because this town, I'm, I'm telling you, this town is the greatest town in the world and they just don't care. <laughs> and they just want to, they, well, they, they sport and love live music and musicians. So there's a camaraderie and there's a support system here that helps you get through it. And it's, uh, it's not going to get easy for a while. Um, we're, you know, close to uh, maybe getting a date to release the album and we're still scrambling, trying to put dates together and keep active and keep on the road um, and regain the momentum and the crowd. We're going to some places that we sell out all the time and there's nobody there. We're going to places that you are first time there and you can't move. It's so packed because people are so happy to be out. So you don't even know what you're getting when you're out there and, and right. the venues are paying less. It's, it's look, I could preach forever. Uh, I missed the road so much and I didn't realize it how bad until that first night I got on stage and barely made it through the first song. <laughs> it was like, you know, it's, uh, you know, but we're, we're going to kick through it and, and, and be there when this all shakes itself out. That's all I know. As I've noticed, I've been to a couple of live shows recently um, in small venues, and it seems to me that the audience wants live performers. It's great oh, to watch stuff on YouTube. It's great to pull an album out of the sleeve and put it on a turntable, but they want that live experience because there's so much more you get out of it and you get a connection with the performer. And, and that's one of the things that, that I think we all miss. And I don't think we ever realized how important it was until a two-year shutdown. Hey, I, I try to give a little final message after every show. And that this year it's been, you know, let's not forget what was taken from us. And I do see that. I do see a, a bigger hunger I see people that are going to shows that probably maybe would have gone, oh, we'll catch them next time around. No, they're right. making the effort to go. Um, they're making the effort to support. And it's important. Look, there, there are no less than a dozen venues I can list right now that are never going to open again, places that we've played um, because of this. We are... It's not just the performer and it's not just the sound guy and the light guy. It's the ushers. It's the bartenders. It's the ticket brokers. It's the advertising people. It's the, it, there are dear, dear, dear friends of mine that are never going to do their passion again right. because they've had to move on. Um, and it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that the world forgot about the entertainment business. Um and I hate to put it that way, but the world forgot about the entertainment business. The, you know, support from every government ag agency didn't have anything to do right. with the entertainment business. Um, and I'm very open about I didn't get unemployment. I didn't get my business, did not get money. I got El Zippo, but I still had them bills to pay. Um, and thank God, thank God that most of the people I deal with, whether credit cards or debtors, most of them, ironically, not the insurance company, but most of them worked very well with you. And, you know, we got over the hump, but it's, it's, it's an unfortunate thing. And people, you do see it. People missed it. People missed it big time yeah. and are really getting an enjoyment out of doing it, but it's tough for venues. You're we're going to venues and um, it's a venue we've been playing for shoot since 2010, I believe every year, sometimes twice a year. And we showed up and it like just the manager is there. I'm like, what, what happened? Where's so-and-so and where's so-and-so though? They're, we can't afford them right now. And then they've moved on and, and it's, it's, it's rough all around. Um, it's rough all around. And I, I'm thankful that people are coming back out to the shows because that's what's going to keep us going. My son uh, is graduating. He's a musical theater major and he works with one of the local theaters in the area. He does their uh, marketing and uh, does some of the set building. And he said that the people want it so bad that they just had a dog show there and they had over 5,000 people show up 
to watch dogs do tricks on stage because they just wanted to see something. And I'm going, you got to be kidding. <laughs> going. So again, I understand. I understand that. And I, and I understand. I know other performers that said the same thing. They got nothing out of this. They, they're gig performers. They didn't get anything. And yeah. no one thought about them because we use entertainment. And if we don't have entertainment, can you imagine how boring life would be? That, oh, man. That, and I don't think I don't think people understand that. That's what what amazes me. Um, so you do have some shows coming up. You have uh, uh, Grand Junction, Colorado on April 28th. Yep. You are in Old Sable, Connecticut on May 3rd, Willow Street, PA on May 4th. And you start to have a lineup of dates that you have. Have you played these places before or are some of these new? Uh, Grand Junction is brand new. Um, Willow Street, PA. Uh, we've only done a couple gigs in the Pennsylvania area. And my father, I mean, Philly alone, my father was huge. Um, so I'm, I'm saying, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to hitting back in there. Now the Kate, uh, that's, that's kind of in old Saybrook. That's the Catherine Hepburn, uh, cultural arts center. Okay. Gorgeous theater, gorgeous theater. We've played there before, uh, and always have a blast. Um, there's a little place up in Woodstock, New York, uh, called the colony. Mm -hmm. What a neat little place. I mean, it's in the sticks, but they'll pack that thing to the rafters and we just have a party up there. Uh, we played there before. Um, we've got, we actually have a lot of dates coming through this year where we haven't been before, which, which I'm thankful for because we, you know, the, the 120 dates we canceled, maybe 40% of them are new markets. And, okay. you know, we, you know, we live and die by the road work. I mean, that's the bread and butter, you know, and it's, New markets mean new fans, mean new markets, new fans, and right. so forth and so on. So wow. we're just, we're, we're excited to be back on the road. Look, the website is lewisprimajr.com. If you scroll down, the second or third little scroll down is the calendar. The little red track button says track. Click on it. Uh, it's going to ask you where you're from. You'll get notifications when tickets go on sale or a show is announced in your area. And, uh, you know, we, we hope to continue getting dates on the books. We hope they stop falling off. I mean, that's no guarantee. Um, oh, yeah. Right now, uh, unfortunately, contracts mean nothing anymore because you only have to say COVID and everything's right. out the window. But look, it's, it's the nature of the business, and we're going to do what we can to get on the road. So please, please follow us and come see us, man. It's, it's a good, well, I guarantee you a good time. Well, I will say this because I'm looking at it and I'm located in Western Pennsylvania. I'm actually located between Pittsburgh and Morgantown, West Virginia, and you have no right shows in this area. However, I am going to be making a phone call tomorrow to the theater that my son works at and say, you have to bring this guy in because I've seen this stuff on the website, talk to you. And I mean, you are amazing. I mean, it just, just bringing it. you in to be it. able to do that and perform the way that you do. And again, you're doing a two hour show. And from what I've seen online, I can't see how you keep that energy up for two hours. It's because it's fun. Look, I, you know, it, it's, it's not as easy today as it was two years ago, uh, but we're getting there. And it's look, it, it, everybody's an entertainer. We're just having fun. We're having a blast. It's um, everybody in the show everybody on stage shines mm -hmm. for their moments in the show. It's, it's, it's a band. I'm not a, you know, I'm not the monkey in front of the organ grinder. This is a band. We function as the band. We perform as a band. And, you know, our, when you, when you do those, you know, 12 nights in a row, 11 different cities, you know, on that 10th night, the bus trip to the next city, is dead quiet from five minutes into the trip. Um, but we get up every night and get on that stage and do it because that's what we do. And it's, and it's fun for us. I, we truly are having a good time and there's nothing that I like better. And the reason I get on stage is because I get such a pure joy out of seeing people enjoy themselves. I love, I love trying to find that one person in the crowd that's 
a skeptic or is having a bad right. day and you know they are you can tell they are and i my i my goal is to make them have a good time by the end of the show and you know what the 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 disappointed ones are so few and far between i'm thankful <laughs> you know so um, you you mentioned earlier that you tried this before and it didn't work why do you think it worked now the focus i when I, I when I started doing this in '95, I was coming out of rock and roll with a very heavy frustration level with the business of music. Okay, not being on stage, not music itself, the business of music. Uh, it can beat you up, um, and you know, back then, um, by by the end of the rock career, it was you know that. You know, I we were doing all the management ourselves and stuff, so it just weighed on me. And I was starting to family, and I I put it together to stay in Las Vegas and be in the lounges. Okay. Um. And it, you know, I I learned rather quickly what I think I knew all along is that the entertainment was dead in Vegas by then, uh, and. You know, getting work was difficult, and uh, had I had my heart been into it more, I probably could have survived it and stayed playing. But I'm thankful it wasn't. I'm thankful that incarnation of the band fell apart because it just wasn't the right thing. Um, right. It just, you know, it wouldn't be what it is today, um, and it's survived today because of the focus i've had to begin with which was find people that believed in me management agents record label um which we've done i've got a great management team been with them since uh 08 i believe 07 08 um you know we found uh we found warrior records in 2011 when we recorded our first album and that is the greatest organization to work for jim Irvin, the president is a brilliant mind a kind soul and just a genius in the studio and so easy to work with and who the hell thinks you're going to get a record deal at 45 but it happens <laughs> um <laughs> don't give up kids yeah. uh and just going back to my original reason why I got into music and that's to create, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a guy that can do covers every night. I'm not a guy that, you know, can sit in one town and just, I, it's, it's not, it's not the cut of my jib, so to speak. And it's nothing against the people that work so hard every day in every town in this country to make music for people. My, goal and focus in life is to been create create new and to bring it to people um and have fun while i'm doing it and that focus and that focus and getting finding the right musicians i mean you know i played with i played with brilliant players in the early starting this off in 04 uh brilliant players uh, it just wasn't the show that i wanted until you started finding those right like-minded people um and I think when you have the, that like mind throughout the organization, you know, the bad apple story does hold true. Um, when you find it like mind throughout the organization, it just becomes easy. Uh, profitable? Maybe not, but easy. It, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's easy to get people to believe in you in venues, to believe in you in crowds, to believe in you when you're enjoying what you do. Do you feel the internet helped? get the word about who you are because again you look at 1995 we did not have the internet the way we do today oh. and with youtube and all this stuff now more people are finding your stuff they have a website i mean i'm trying to think back when i was when i growing up in the 80s going how did we find out about performers other than listening to radio i mean there were That's magazines right. and stuff like this but this is a whole new world and a whole new way of marketing yourself that performers like you coming from that era it's something totally different it's a good thing and a bad thing um yes i, I think it allows people to find you more um 
maybe more so in the early days than how social media and, and it all functions right now. Okay. Um, you know, social media and, and the YouTubes of the world, it's, it's all an algorithm and you could put the most brilliant content out. Nobody's ever going to see you because somebody else is controlling what goes on there. Right. Um, but it's easier for word of mouth, you know, when you, when you've got your fans following you and you post an event and they share it on their wall for their friends to see it, that's where you get the fold over. Um, I think it's more difficult to find music right now because of that. I mean, there, there's some nice avenues, you know, the, uh, you get an email out of iTunes every once in a while, or you can go onto your, you know, your iTunes thing and it's got the new music suggestions down below and it takes what you listen to and gives you suggestions. Um, Spotify, if you deal with channels, you can find new people. Uh, but it, it does help, but it also is a detriment because everything's out there and it's out there for good. Mm -hmm. I tell people, you know, when the pandemic started and everybody was doing those live in their bedroom broadcasts. Right. Um, I remember talking to uh, Jim Irvin from the record label and he asked, are you guys going to do any of that? And I said, no, emphatically, no. Number one, it's difficult for us because the band is from 10 different cities. Right. Um, but number two, video just never captures what you're doing. And when you don't have a crowd or a proper light show and, and sound and it, it hurt my soul to see some of the things that I saw and it's there forever. You can't get rid of it. Oh yeah, you can't. It's there forever. And, um, and it, you know, that, that's, you know, that's why I, I, there's probably not as much out there as should be on our band. And everybody says do a live, you know, do a live video CD or blah, 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 blah. And I'm, I, I just, I, I try to shy away from it because it never puts you in the best light. Um, I'd rather the snippets be out there so people get engaged and come see right. me live. Uh so as long as you manage it, it's a good thing. And it, and it does help. And it does, you know, you know, the, the little ads you pay for on social media and things do pay off. You know, we do studies and mm -hmm. you can tell where your ticket buys are coming from and things. Uh, and I'm thankful for it. I mean, look, it, it is, it, it's bought the world closer and has driven us apart. Um, so, but in the end, your stuff that you you're putting out now you said the did the album come out the last one you worked on or are they still holding it back until you can tour still sitting there we have not finished mixing it yet okay. um we we did uh, our second album blow uh we mixed it over the internet um which i didn't know you could do up until we did that in 20, right whenever that was 2014 15 um uh and we're gonna be we're doing this one the same way but it's we're just kind of doing it slowly. Okay. Um, uh, you know, it bounces between me and Jim for, for the mixing. Uh, and we're still waiting for the powers that be to be comfortable enough that releasing it and putting it, look, it's a costly venture to put something out. You know, I'm not, um, you know, and we're, we're beholden to the, the, the practices and procedures at Universal right. Music. So we hope that we hope to have a definitive date soon. Um, in the meantime, we we wait because I I'm looking at the stuff and I know you have stuff on iTunes and you have it on Spotify. But yeah. do you have anything on vinyl or and I mean, are you looking at doing it on vinyl? Because for some reason, it seems like this is becoming popular again. <laughs> that people want to be able to touch it, read it, the liner notes and all this stuff. I'm going, wait a minute. Yeah. What goes around comes we, around, I guess. We've been trying to talk the label into, we've had many conversations about doing it. Um, I think there's a better chance on doing it on this new album, which may okay. allow us to go back and do the uh, other two. Uh, uh, it, it boils down to a, a cost versus profit right. type of thing. Um, we, that's an, another set of mastering that you have to do. Mm -hmm. uh, another set of pressing. Uh, and do they sell enough to keep some in stock? Uh, we don't know. Uh, they're impossible for me to carry on the road. Yeah. Um, uh, 
the tra- trailers are not air conditioned. I mean, I can keep it in the bus, but um, I I would love to get it out because I love vinyl. There's a bunch yeah. of us in the band that are just vinyl dogs, right. and uh, I hope to Jim, if you're listening, let's try it. <laughs> Let's well, try. I'll buy one. Just let me know when it comes up. <laughs> um, before I let you go, uh, Louie, is there one song of your father's that you like more than anything else and you like to perform more than anything else? That is so tough to say. It, it changes nightly. Look, if, if I didn't do Gigolo and Jump to Drive a Whale every night, they'd boo me off the stage. Right. Um, so those are the constants. Uh, Italian communities, if I don't do Angelina Zuma Zuma, mm-hmm. they're going to boo me off the stage. <laughs> um, I've always enjoyed, he, he did a medley of Them Their Eyes, Old Man River. It's on an yes. album called King of Clubs. Phenomenal arrangement, phenomenal song. Love playing it. We don't play it much anymore. It's just kind of out of the, there's so many, you know, we've got, 90 songs in our repertoire what do you how do you pick um you know i've always loved doing and we haven't done it in a while just because i'm not not a slow song type of guy but i've always loved his version of i'm confessing um it's on the what is that strictly prima What's what's the album anyway uh Gorgeous song, an amazing trumpet solo, and and I try to do my best to play that solo like he did because mm-hmm. it's just gorgeous. Um, and you know that's probably got to be one of my favorite, just because it's an emotional song for me. Right, uh, it's got story behind it and stuff. But uh, you know, as for the other ones, it it floats, man. You know, it 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 floats around. Um, I'm sure with this new album coming out, we've got one Prima song that's on it and it's a surprise and it may or may not be a duet with my dad due to uh, the okay. magic magic of the internet. And I'm sure when that comes out that when, and we put that back into the set, uh, that that's going to turn back into a fun song. So, so, okay. So, so it may or may not be a duet with your dad, but <laughs> Look. When, when you put it out and this, and this goes through my mind, because again, <laughs> Dina Martin did one with her dad the, uh, and with Dean and Nancy Sinatra did one with Frank and Nat- yeah. Natalie Cole did one for with Nat King Cole. And we can go through all these. Now you're doing one maybe with your dad would there be a music video put out with it of showing you and your dad together because i think that would be so unique that we would be and again i think if you doing one with your dad would put your dad in the limelight once again that would just be amazing to get that music back out to another generation so we put um, that's my home on the album blow is a duet with my dad uh i sing with him and he and we trade trade back and forth on trumpet um it was always tough to do it with my father's songs though because he didn't track his music right um so it's next to impossible to isolate that vocal or whatever you're trying to do um we were fortunate enough to strike up a great relationship with uh capital records that allowed us um with universal music allowed us to license to be able to use one of the tracks and that was the one that's my home that we felt was the cleanest prima vocal. Um, we just put it out there for something neat. The one we're doing, and I say may or may not be because it's, uh, I don't know if we have full permission yet um, because the, you know, all the powers right. of be went on vacation for two and a half years now. Um, so we're, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty confident it's going to be, on there uh i can't say what the song is yet uh it is one of his top five most popular okay i'll i'll give you that and there are a couple different plans for music video wise uh what i'd love to do if i could ever have the budget to do this there was a company out of vegas that i uh we were actually thinking about at one time trying to find the funding to put my father on the stage with me 
um, oh, because they have that technology. Um, it ain't cheap, but I'm telling you, I went to their warehouse and got on this stage with this cartoon band. Uh-huh. And I swear, standing on stage, it felt like you were there with these fake people. Um, so I, I would love to, you know, there, there's a couple things that we're going to do uh, that include my father in the video. We've got a couple different ideas that we'll probably do both. Um, and who knows, maybe we'll, uh, you know, maybe some investor will step forward or the company will go, hey, this is a neat opportunity. Let's make it happen. Now, I, I know that this, this is for the future because this popped in my mind when you were talking. Have you ever thought about doing a one with your mother and dad and record the three of you together? Um, because that, that would be that unique I, in itself. That would probably end up being something that would happen on the third album. It's been, it's been baby steps. We, we weren't going to do it on this album. And uh, Jim came to see us uh, at a show in Los Angeles and we did the song that we recorded. Right. And, and when we were, uh, and it's, it's one of the ones that's just randomly in the show. It's never in the show on any kind of steady basis. And uh, we started talking about song selection and we presented him with songs that we wrote and things. He was like, I want you to do this um, and we're going to do it. And, and I just think it's a fun song. And then when we got in the studio and we're setting up to start working on that song and he's messing around and you can hear my dad's tracks. And it was like, oh, no. Um, all right. I guess we're going there. And we we took it a step further. This one is my sax player, Marco Palos, gets to trade sax licks with Sammy Terra as well. Wow. That's... Um, and the latter part of the song is a bit of the entire both bands. So it's a, it's a lot of fun. Let me tell you something. When I first heard it, when, when I first got the tracks to yeah. when you do it, when you're starting to mix, you got to pan music. You know, nobody's going to understand what I'm talking about. You know, you've got, where, where is that instrument going to be placed here mm-hmm. and there? And da, 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 da. we go back and forth. And the first time I heard it, I, I mean, I was loaded with chills. It was yeah. it was a good time, and I can't wait for it to come out. It's it's going to be, uh, um, I think it's going to be a, a a favorite of a lot of people. Well, Louis, thank you very much. When the album's released, I'd love to have you back on again. This was fantastic. Absolutely. I had a great time. I mean, I really did, and I thank you very much for uh, taking part in the program today. And uh, I wish you, you the best of luck. Me getting back out on the road again and and hopefully you'll be able to do a full concert tour this year instead of being interrupted again i hope so you know thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure i mean i couldn't tell i do like to talk um i'd love to <laughs> i'd love i'd love to come back and and do it again once the album comes I'd love out to. and and just please, everybody, lewisprimajr.com. Find me on social media and follow the band and give us a listen and take a chance, man. Come see a live show. You will not be disappointed, I promise you. Well, Louie, thank you very much, and you have a great rest of your day. You too. God bless, man. Well, that was a blast. Thank you very much to Louis Prima Jr. for joining me today. Had a wonderful time talking about his dad and his career and the upcoming album with the surprise that may be happening too so anyways guys thank you very much for joining me here on the bill alexander show and we'll talk to you next time thank you for listening to the bill alexander show the bill alexander show is a million dollar baby production for more information go to the bill live life at your pace click the banner or go to visit williamsburg.com to discover how Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Here, our waters are splashing and rejuvenating. Our history is for seeing and experiencing. Our theme parks are for riding and sometimes flying. And our great outdoors are yours for exploring and restoring. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. When you look into Discover Student Loans, what you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply.
Have you guys noticed that you can't go anywhere without seeing designer this or designer that, even designer furniture? On my social feeds and celebrity homes, it's everywhere. Have you seen how expensive these are? Well, if you want the sofa or recliner or bed that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends, but without the designer prices. Oh, and they're well-made, too. It's the whole package. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com. Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that... That's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton.